these Sunday afternoon talks uh, an opportunity for you all to hear a few uh, reflections around different themes uh, each week. Uh, something that we set up, well, we have set up for a number of years now, just uh, during the summer, uh, what we call the Vasa time, three months. So, uh, the theme this afternoon, well, I, I chose from a list of, of topics, I, I chose them on stepping out of the dance. And uh, no, no one told me what the dance was, so uh, I'm allowed some artistic license, I believe. I, I'm giving myself artistic license to uh, lay upon it my own interpretation. So I regard that my, my privilege. And uh, just to say uh, about the nature of the Dharma talks that we give here, whether it's here in the sala or in the temple, are more formal situations. This isn't an attempt to uh, tell you what's what and uh, uh, say what's ultimate truth and expect you to just uh, accept what's uh, except as gospel, so to speak, what's, what's given. It's, um, it's an offering. Consider what, what's spoken, not just here, but also from all the other monks and nuns who contribute to the talks. They are... Consider it as uh, what's said. It's an offering for you to uh, to contemplate and inwardly digest and just see if it's so in your uh, own experience. Uh, that, that's after you've gone away, after you've listened to the talk and gone back home. But for this time, I ask you just to suspend all judgment and still your minds as much as possible, just allow yourself to uh, come into the, the present moment and be as receptive as you are able. Um, so then that will, that will also, that will make me feel comfortable. I've no idea what, what's, uh, What's that, what words are actually going to come out of my mouth in the next hour? I have confidence they will be the right words, but not necessarily in the right order. <laughs> so, first, to consider what, uh, what sort of dance do I wish to talk about and talk around as a theme? I think it's worth considering that um, we are generally, we are creatures of habit. And uh, uh, as we grow up, we uh, acquire different uh, we, we acquire different habits, uh, ways of speaking, of uh, relating, uh, of, of ways of uh, enjoying life, of also of suffering. Uh, so. Considering the theme of the talk, stepping out of the dance, why why should we want to step out of the dance? Consider uh, what, what happens when, when when people dance; they're usually having a good time, or seeking for a good time, and um, it's only 
when the, the dance no longer serves us, that we, are, uh, we, we seek a way out, a look for something more uh, satisfactory or something uh, with greater meaning. Yeah. If you take uh, dancing as a, an analogy to either enjoying life or even expressing our enjoyment of life, that uh, that uh, state, a quality of happiness and joy, um, like all things, you know, only lasts so long as we can't. Uh, when we're like what we do when we're twenty, what we do when we're eighteen, twenty, twenty-four, we just can't uh, enjoy life in the same way when we're forty-eight or, or sixty-five. Uh, so. You know, our, the way we express ourselves and the way we uh, re- relate to life, it, it has to change. In some ways, I, I feel like the, uh, <clears throat> this is why we, uh, many of us experience the midlife crisis. Um, because we fail to recognize our priorities have changed. Let's remember when we're 18, 20, 24, we're out to start a career to be successful and our priorities are economic success, uh, get our foot on the first rung of the ladder, managerial ladder, and, and rise up through the ranks. And it, it's about, well, it's about earning money to pay off your student debt to start with. To just to sustain a reasonable standard of living, and then to uh, find a suitable partner to share your life with. And these, uh, all these goals and aims, they have their own uh, successes and uh, failures, uh, uh, stresses. Uh, joys, all the ups and downs of, uh, or the uncertainties that we experience in life. But for most of us, by the time we get to middle age, I'm not sure when middle age actually begins now. Is it? Uh, is it the forties? Is it fifties? Or for some of you, sixties? But um, uh, because when we fail to, to realize our priorities change, you see, when, when we've met all those, uh, all the original uh, aims and goals, we, by, by the time we're 40 or 50, most of us have well, found a place to live, uh, had, had a family, raised a family, um, been reasonably successful at work and in career. And then, well, what defines the midlife crisis is the feeling like, oh, is this uh, all there is to life? You know, it's feeling like, oh, I, I've done, I've done all the things that uh, the world expects of me, that society expects of me. I, I, you know, I, I've, I've got this fantastic house. I, I've, all my children have got to university. They've been successful, and um, I've had a happy, even if we had a happy marriage. I think, oh. Is this uh, is this all there is to it? Is it? You've, uh, you've fulfilled all these original goals, and then you, the, the, the midlife crisis is characterised by the feeling. I understand, of like, a, oh, there must be surely there must be more than this, and. Uh, so in spiritual terms, I see that as not as a, um, a failure or a, or, or a loss. Uh, it's actually when we start to re-evaluate our lives. Not in terms of, uh, oh, um, well, where did I go wrong? You know, why, don't I, uh, why don't I feel the fulfillment that I 
I used to experience or you know, this sense of this very profound sense of I'm sure there must be more than what I've acquired, what I've accrued, what what I've experienced. Must be more uh, for me to uh, gain from this experience we call uh, living. Or then the deeper question, well, what's the meaning, what is the deeper meaning of life? So that's, uh, so that's how I see uh, stepping out of the dance is, well, no, uh, that's when I see stepping out of the dance is uh, appropriate, having a taking time to uh, come to Amaravati or any monastery. Uh, just step back from your normal round of living and allow yourself the luxury of contemplating these great questions. You may have noticed there are lots of books. There are lots of books uh, from Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Samedo, Ajahn Amaro, um, and uh, particularly Ajahn, uh, Ajahn Chah has, a, has one talk that um, relates to, um, oh yes, uh, why am I here? Uh, what's... Um, Why, uh, why are we here? Uh, essentially, the question is, uh, what is the uh, what is the ultimate goal of, of being human? And he says it is to. Oh yes, or why are we born? Is ultimately it is to seek the answers to, uh, so that we don't have to be born. One of the, in uh, in Buddhism, I, I find one of the great saving graces. One of the monks was reminding me of this. You see, one of the great saving graces is, you know, if you don't get it this time round, you're always given another opportunity. So, uh, I hope you understand that. You see, uh, we we have this fundamental belief of of rebirth. You see, so. Uh, So if you don't get the, the, the profound message that the Buddha uh, extols in his teaching of how to train the mind, how to uh, realize ultimate peace, how to live skillfully, then uh, 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 don't worry because life will always provide you um, as, as many uh, trials, as many times as you need in future lives. So actually, I, I thought you'd uh, brighten up with that prospect. Now, I have been doing a little research, and uh, so I, I won't be short of words. Uh, I've been doing a little research, and but also, in the last two weeks, I've been invited out to some very uh, luxurious uh, health spa, not far from here, who caters for very successful uh, sort of executive types um, who've uh, been very... Uh, who, who've reached the highest of echelons of their career. Uh, but... Uh, have uh, neglected their own uh, welfare. And so they go to the, these health spas in order to relax. So um, I, I suggest that these people are, are, are the ones who uh, have, uh, don't, have, uh, they don't have any other means of stepping uh, out of the dance. When we are... Uh, uh, 
when we're caught up in... But when we place our career and success in life above all else, family, association, having a good association with friends, there's inevitably there's a price to pay. So take note, you know, many people... Uh, lose uh, lose the balance or perspective, if you like. It becomes so caught up with the illusion uh, of uh, of corporate success as being it, as being it above all all others, all other priorities, family, and. Um, However, uh, you, you do meet a rare character who, who do know how to uh, define uh, healthy boundaries uh, to be able to se- separate their work commitments to their family commitments. I thought it might be helpful to outline uh, three ways or three areas in which we generally gain uh, experience uh, uh, happiness and that is the first through the uh, acquisition and uh, enjoyment of material comforts. And uh, in these modern times, uh, that's been taken to a great uh, extreme. So much so that we don't know what's um, what's sufficient. Right? There's so many luxuries that we don't really need that we take uh, we, that we believe are necessary. And. So, take, uh, so then, the other area in which we experience uh, happiness is in, in the area of uh, social engagement, uh, communication. So that means uh, how well we, uh, when we live in a harmonious family uh, situation, when there is harmony in the, at the home, uh, and then, uh, and then of course, the other areas: the enjoyment of uh, support, having a healthy, uh, supportive collection of friends, uh, people you can turn to in uh, times of difficulty, people who will be able to uh, uplift you when you're feeling down, or who will give you be able to give you good advice at uh, suitable times. Uh, Essentially, those those people, well, ideally, those people who won't who won't uh, interfere with your life, but they won't seek to interfere with your life or family, but will offer assistance at suitable times. Uh, and then, the more uh, a different sort of happiness, a deeper, more. Uh, satisfying sort of happiness that, that arises from the way we live, uh, the lifestyle that we choose. And uh, uh, this does relate to also how we work. Um, there are... This, this is mentioned in uh, the Buddha's... Uh, verses where he talks about I think it was the 39 blessings 39 highest blessings and to have suitable uh, livelihood uh, a livelihood that is not exploiting others um, it's not destroying life in any form 
uh, that's, uh, that is of service to others, that's beneficial. So, in short, that, that to be able to live in a way that is consistent with our core values. Um, you could say, well, you all have to find out what your core values are, but if, if you are spiritually inclined, then I'm talking about qualities like um, generosity, uh, uh, selflessness, um, uh, giving service, uh, truthfulness, uh, such as these. I mean, you might have your own uh, humor or um, curiosity. Um, Many of us don't uh, know what our life's values are, our core values. And uh, I, I suggest you, you make that an exercise to contemplate from time to time and um, make an effort to uh, write them down. You, you, you might not be able to... Uh, you might not be able to do that just by sitting down for an hour and sort of trying to strain your mind. What are they? Just allow the, the uh, inquiry to, to sit with you for a week or so. And then uh, just through the course of the day's work, uh, these, uh, the answers will occur to you and they will be numerous. You, you might be surprised. Just notice what do you truly value in life. Anyway, the, the point is that uh, what I suggest is that this it's this third area to be uh, it's how we live and that we live uh, in a way that's consistent in line with uh, what we uh, hold up uh, the values that we have in life, what we hold up and treasure even though at the moment I might not, might not know what they are. <clears throat> Coming back to the, uh, to the area of social engagement and uh, how we relate to our, our friends and uh, family members and... Uh, uh, also work colleagues and uh, I thought it might be worth relating to one of the questions that um, was put to me at the end of uh, last week's meditation class because uh, this this for me raises um, a very worthwhile paradox and theme to, to contemplate. And uh, I can rem remember saying something during the uh, meditation class, something like, um, well, of course, uh, meditation is about letting go and uh, abandoning... Uh, unwholesome states of mind, you know, this means um, agitation, uh, anger, um, possessiveness and envy. Uh, so uh, I, I'm relating to mental states on, uh, on an absolute level, on an ab uh, uh, relating to truth on a very high sort of absolute level. And then imagine what, what happens when uh, a Sri Lankan lady, in all sincerity, comes to me and puts to me the question, I said, Bente, Bente, I, um, I have a, a problem with anger. And uh, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, there's someone I, I, it's just that someone I, uh, talk to and 
And he, he, when, I, when I say certain things, uh, he, he doesn't respond in the way that I'm expecting him to. This, this is a great cause of uh, frustration. And uh, so in, in attempt, attempting to assemble some sort of uh, remedy to this predicament, I first had to recognize, of course, uh, on an absolute level of truth, we are encouraged through this meditative, contemplative tradition to to relax, to abandon, to uh, see ourselves as separate and distant from unskillful states of mind. And uh, 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 would it surprise you to know that uh, even an, an arahant, a, 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 suppose a fully enlightened being, uh, experiences anger? But it doesn't last. So, so the important thing to understand is that the, uh, the, the ultimate goal of a spiritual life is actually to understand the mind. It's not to be uh, completely dissociated from feeling and experiencing you know, everything that humans uh, experience. But we're not caught up in it. We're not identified with it. That's what uh, practice ultimately culminates in. Uh, a, a cool place of mind where we're not identified with what we're experiencing. Anyway, c- coming back to uh, how I uh, felt I had to answer this lady's very valid question. See, because I, 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 re- I recall, you know, I, I've been in this situation whereby I've had to go to someone else, and now another monk says, oh, uh, you know, uh, you know, some things you do, or some things you don't do, that makes me very annoyed. So, and, uh, it's very evident to me, we have to also learn how to uh, relate to mundane factors like talking to each other. Uh, the, the Buddha does actually address this, this realm of uh, mundane realities. And uh, he says to his monk, he says, well, if a bhikkhu seeks to admonish another, actually, admonish is rather heavy. It's a rather heavy expression. Shall I say... Um, if uh, a bhikkhu uh, wishes to give a, a reflection, that's a far more acceptable expression in this, in this culture, to give a reflection, and uh, rather than admonishment, it's the very Victorian, sort of antiquated uh, translation from the Pali. Uh, uh, and there's something really wonderful about that, image of the reflection because uh, we're not seeking to uh, make a judgment about other people we're just seeking to hold up a mirror and um, and in offering a reflection uh, we must be careful not to be lost in, in the faults of others so then the encouragement that Buddha gives is to find a suitable time to speak. Like here, you know, uh, I, I, I certainly wouldn't start talking to a monk uh, while we're collecting our food, say, here, I, I've got to have a word with you about something that's uh, being uh, annoying. You, you've been annoying me about for some time. You find a quiet spot where you're not going to embarrass people. So you speak, you... Uh, maintain you keep to the facts and make an effort to speak with gentleness and uh, develop ways of speaking that um, uh, leads to harmony uh, understanding uh, speak with a mind of friendliness 
for this? Well, what this means is um, we, we have to consider, give time and, and consider profoundly whether what we wish to offer as a reflection is actually beneficial to who we're speaking to as well as for ourselves. Uh, so, um, so what I found in the past is uh, when I've had to express my own, um, well, give my own reflection, or, or at least make an attempt to ex- explain my own predicament to another monk, uh, I can get very annoyed when I feel like, um, well, I'm not, I'm not acknowledged for what I contribute to a meeting or something, or if you're talking to someone and uh, then you notice they're just sitting there with a glazed eye. They're just looking at you, maybe, with a glazed eye, a, a fixed gaze. And there's uh, no, no sign, no, no sort of physical acknowledgement to like a nod or, or even a tilt of the head to say, oh, yes, I'm, I'm receiving, I'm, I'm even con- contemplate, uh, considering what you're saying. Um, and uh, that disturbs me very much if, when uh, what I'm saying in a meeting uh, doesn't seem to be registered in any way. Usually, like some sort of feedback, even if it's disagreement, that's good. That's good. That's a response. You know, one's being listened to. And so, coming back to this uh, lady's question about, well, how how do I? address my, my anger about relating to uh, this man and he doesn't say, doesn't uh, give any sort of signals like um, I'm, he's uh, actually hearing what I'm saying. Because uh, when, we, when we're speaking from a, an emotionally disturbed space, uh, if, if we're not careful, if we're caught up in anger or annoyance and, and we're just coming across in a sort of agitated or sort of forced manner, then generally it's just the mood, it's the emotion that's registered. Um, especially if we're just uh, pointing to the faults and uh, not even giving any direction or indication of what might be a solution. We're just uh, focusing on the faults. Um, this isn't a particularly productive um, mode of uh, communication. Um, and, and then, of course, uh, this monk or the person you're talking to say, well, might, might say, well, you're angry. Uh, you're angry. That, that, that's why not. You're angry, therefore I don't have to listen to you. I've, I've, come, I've encountered that. And of course, you know what the result of that is, just even more frustration. <laughs> so, why am, I, why am I talking about this? So what, what I'm suggesting is, uh, you, you may read and hear about all the, the higher levels of, of Buddhist teaching, about letting go of uh, unwholesome states. But we also... You know, we also need to develop skills to uh, to relate to mundane realities, relating how we relate to others, and so this is where uh, also uh, making more conscious and, and even developing our core values uh, comes into play. Because uh, if we don't recognise the the value, for example, of friendliness, cultivating a, f- a mental frame of uh, kindliness, uh, gentleness. Uh, then, of course, uh, we, we, our tendencies seem to get lost in our uh, emotions and, and fail to see, uh, basically to fail to have empathy and see how we affect others. By uh, 
by the way we speak, uh, uh, the way we communicate. Uh, without taking time to consider uh, what is right or skillful speech, uh, many of us can think, well, uh, you know, it's good, it's good to vent our anger from time to time. You know, it makes me feel good. But actually, I think uh, most of us, maybe after a few years, realise, actually, it's not such a good thing and I, I really need to go and find better ways of, of um, processing my stuff, if you like. This is why we've got so many psychotherapists. Uh, are there any here? Uh, so some people, some people have the uh, what I feel is the wrong idea that psychotherapy and um, religion are in competition with each other. Uh, but from my perspective, I see that what we can learn from you know, psychotherapy considerations or psychotherapeutic approaches can be very beneficial and can be very um, supportive uh, and lead to a, an even better uh, appreciation for uh, religious practice be it uh, Buddhist or, or otherwise. So I'm going to uh, expand even further on that uh, area of skillful communication uh, because uh, I, I see it as so uh, essential and also very satisfying when we see when we see our, our when we find a more skillful, more beneficial uh, approach to resolving uh, difficulties. But this doesn't mean, actually, it doesn't mean that we get what we want every time. Now, um, when, when we find ourselves in uh, conflict with others, Oh, oh I, I, should, uh, I should go back to the theme of the talk at this stage because um, I've got to keep it relevant to the thought, to the uh, title, see? Um, so if there's no consideration or no examination of the way we relate to each other and uh, an exploration of more skillful ways of resolving difficulties, we're just caught up in our, in our old uh, habitual dance, which is... Um, which I'm supposing is just uh, following our emotions and getting lost and caught up in our emotional states. So in this particular uh, incident, I'm talking about mostly about anger and frustration and, and how to resolve that when there's uh, conflict between two parties. So uh, as a solution, what I'm suggesting is that first acknowledge that uh, communication if it's to lead to harmony, to, to lead to some understanding, d doesn't have to depend on you getting what you want. Because uh, if that's what you're looking for, uh, you need to go to another workshop. Okay? We don't do that here. Um, but uh, the, va uh, the value in considering uh, skillful speech here is actually, first one needs to assess, oh, what needs are actually being frustrated? What needs are not being met that leads me to feeling uncomfortable about you know, a certain situation, a meeting, or, or might be a work situation? And, um, yeah, I, I can remember... Uh, 
quite a few instances where people come up to me and say, talking about the difficulties at work and uh, particularly how uh, distressing it is for them when they're um, addressed in, in the most awful manners. You know, they're not basically they're not being addressed as like decent human beings. Um, so let's take that as an example of how uh, what can we say and what can we do to to re- to address that, to resolve it, or to bring it into consciousness uh, into the the group consciousness of that work situation. So to remind you, it doesn't mean we're going to get what we want. But for example, like uh, in these high high stress situations, or like hospitals, hospitals, so that's the great talk about NHS these days. And um, I know very little about hospitals, but I do know that nursing work some people have mentioned to me that nursing work it's very much teamwork you know you've got to be able to work as a team and uh, so just keeping that idea in mind just imagine if some significant member of the team no, no doubt stress themselves but nevertheless one significant member of the team then starts hollering and Calling the uh, uh, other other members all, by all sorts of awful names, you know. Of course, you might say it's understandable in the heat of the moment and the stress and where emergency units aren't uh, sufficiently manned or everyone's getting overworked. You can see how destructive it is for teamwork. Uh, we lose trust and uh, a sense of cooperation between the members. So, uh, uh, what I was suggesting was, it, in that situation where you, where you, by you find you're being addressed in all sorts of unseemly ways, is it? Well, one has to make the courage to do something about that. You have to ask yourself, well, what am I prepared to do about this? Um, sometimes it's a quit. Uh, it's a, either you're going to do something about it or you quit. You might, might just. Uh, you have to gather enough courage to say something like, well, of course, um, I will, I, I'm perfectly willing to do whatever uh, is asked of me uh, in my capacity as a nurse, whatever. Uh, but, um, a- and I always respond or I always function much better when I'm addressed, addressed suitably. It's a perfectly reasonable way of hinting that, uh, you know, you, Oh, you be kind to me, and I'll I'll perform much better. <laughs> but it's not it's, it's not something that you can demand. Say, look, uh, you know, you can't go you can't go in this work situation. Say, look, uh, uh, my name is ah uh, whatever. My name is Annabelle, and if you if you call me Annabelle, then I'll I'll do what you say. But if you call me anything else, oh, I'll, I'll I'll refuse to cooperate. Well, you might want to do that, but I'm suggesting it's uh, it won't lead to any particular good result. So uh, one of the key points is uh, how we communicate. We can't demand. We can only we can only ask. We make it clear our we need to make our position clear to another, and then. Uh, having found a suitable place and time to express this. And, um, and, uh, you know, even bring some uh, lightness and and humour to it. You have to find some means of uh, making the process of of changing your unsatisfactory situation. You need to make the process uh, agreeable in some way. make your message um, appealing to whoever you're uh, speaking to. But to develop these sorts of skills takes time. We are so hardwired. How we, how we communicate, some people 
some people say uh, our communication, uh, our ability to communicate, our patterns of communication are, are fixed by the age of five or something like that, very, very early on. But that doesn't mean that they might be fixed, but they're not setting concrete. Anyway, if uh, otherwise, there would be no possibility for a spiritual life. Uh, a spiritual life is about uh, learning from our experiences and uh, developing ourselves. So I do see uh, right speech as one of the developing a skillful ways of relating. And right speech is one of the most difficult, but also one of the most uh, worthwhile uh, areas of investigation and, uh, uh, that we can develop. Uh, a few years ago, there was, uh, we had a, a monastic visitor, um, he was a Zen monk, and um, he's, uh, all, all the, uh, it's customary for monks to specialize in uh, certain areas of work around the monastery, and uh, he was, uh, at that time, anyway, he was the, he was the head cook. And, um, oh, uh, you're not going to believe this, but it is true. Uh, his name was uh, the Venerable uh, Fu Din. <laughs> and one of the, uh, uh, well, he came to share uh, time with us and just live in the community and, and just be with us for a week or two. And then before he left, he made himself available to um, the whole community in informal tea time. And one of the Anagarikas had a very uh, pertinent question for him. He says, uh, she was talking about how stressful life is working in the kitchen and uh, wondered how best to uh, resolve uh, all the hardships and disagreements that uh, manifest from time to time you know, what it's like, uh, which way to cut the carrots. Is it down, is it down the grain or is it across? Uh, or, uh, how do you cook, you know, how do you cook a cake? And does, you know, does the porridge need to be stirred? Well, it does, but so some people don't here. Uh, this sort of thing. You might think they're trivial things, but uh, I can assure you that the kitchen is one of the, uh, emotionally, one of the hottest places in the monastery. <laughs> and um, so then, coming back to uh, Master Fuden, and he was, so he was put with this question from this uh, Anagamaka, who could be, I remember, who could be quite a fiery character from time to time. Anyway, and so before answering, he allowed himself to enter in a profound state of stillness and silence and then ah yes well first he said well first one must get out of the kitchen very good advice you must step out of the dance you must give yourself some distance from what's uh, the source of your problem and where your problems appear to manifest. Give yourself some distance. And uh, you know, yeah, many people come to Amravati for a quiet time, be it a quiet hour or a few days on the retreat here. So that's the beginning, okay? A step out of the kitchen, so to speak. Uh, go down the road and uh, look at the trees. Uh, this is a way of calming down. We first of all need to uh, take ourselves out of uh, the disturbing situ uh, the disturbing conditions, and then, but but uh, that's not enough, is it, for understanding, uh, for developing the next step of, of 
what, what we can do. So, uh, if we, this, this spiritual work, we, we are we are always challenged. Whatever, however good our meditation is in the temple, monks, you know, some monks can go to the temple and uh, sit for hours, enjoy the bliss. And, uh, experience profound states of stillness. But then they have come down and deal with the, the realities of day-to-day living. And this is something that Ajahn Chah touched upon and talked about again and again. He's saying that the, the real test is how well we can cope, how well we can accommodate all the ups and downs or all the, the knocks and the, the rubs oh, that we suffer and experience in uh, community living. And he wasn't interested, he didn't uh, give it much value or significance to um, <clears throat> meditative states or experiences that his uh, students might want to talk about and say they've experienced and then so he gave very little value to uh, uh, what we ex- refined states that we might experience when the conditions are conducive to stillness and nothing is disturbing us because uh, he saw that well, we we only develop wisdom when we are interacting with with the world, with the through the senses. It's, it's how we deal with sense impingement. That's the, the the true test. And this doesn't mean that we just put up with anything. Uh, it doesn't mean that we. Uh, have to suffer in silence but we we have to develop such qualities as um, patience and uh, as well as uh, qualities of, of letting go and uh, disenchantment uh, dispassion uh, and not investing so much in our uh, egos been uh, <clears throat> after the, the meal times that uh, people have been coming up to me and asking how to how to deal with the the stress of uh, student life and uh, uh, talking about just how uh, just the the burden of work and uh, coping with modern at the pace of modern day life uh, uh, leads to so much stress and um, one of the things I've uh, been encouraging people is to to know to to be able to define a a clear boundary of just how much they know uh, to know how much commitment one can take on because if we don't have a, a healthy sense of boundaries, then we can fall for the idea. Uh, we can really believe that we have to uh, keep satisfying people's demands and um, wishes, uh, and we end up saying yes to, to certain commitments to, which we know we can't meet. Uh, so, uh, simply through the excess of Commitments and uh, engagements, we, we inevitably we're going to burn ourselves out. Uh, this is why we uh, suffer 
so much uh, stress. We don't give our body and mind uh, time to rejuvenate itself. So what I have been found myself saying to people is that, well, whether you pursue a religious path or, or not, you know, the body and mind is very sensitive and we do need to set aside time to be still, to be quiet, uh, not engaged with radio, TV and or any other sorts of distra- uh, distractions <laughs> which uh, inevitably become destructions. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, oh, I've got a note here. I've got a note here. I got it off the computer. It says, there are only two times I feel stress, a day and a night. <laughs> uh, so, a uh, simple message, but for me this means, you see, if you can't get a good night's sleep, then you're not going to be fit for the next day. And um, so, these people who come to ask me, oh, how do they cope with stress? Uh, they're suffering from, I call it insomnia, isn't it? They can't get to sleep. And then, well, when you can't get to sleep, well, that sets up a vicious cycle because the body and mind, they, they do need times of rest. And maybe it's just worry, uh, simply the sheer burden of worry and anxiety, anticipating the future, that uh, is the cause of uh, sleeplessness. So this is why I see the, the, the value of uh, mindfulness. And you know, even though we've only got a few minutes to the end of this talk, see, the, the value of mindfulness is not to overlook the value of mindfulness. We, we can spend a long time actually saying, well, what mindfulness is, mindfulness of the body, Mindfulness of the breath, mindfulness of the feelings, mindfulness of one's state of mind, mindfulness of dhammas. And one of the aspects of mindfulness that I've found myself reminded of and found of particular value, worth taking note, and uh, even though I've been a monk for more than 20 years, it's just, just uh, it might seem a simple, such a simple thing, but to, it's quite humbling for me to be reminded. When whatever we are mindful of, body, breath, feelings, mind states, but to also see that when we're present with them, we're asked to see them in and of, of themselves. That's what it says in the suttas. Or... Uh, the expression sometimes is translated as the body in the body, or the, the breath in the breath, uh, feelings in the feelings, and mind states in the, in the mind states. You think, well, what, what does that mean? And uh, th- this um, moment of illumination uh, struck me when I was m- reminded that we don't, we don't have to attribute a self to all these realms of, of mindfulness. We, we, uh, when we give attention to our state of mind, just notice our habit is to assume, oh, this is who I am. I am angry. I am happy. I am anxious. And... Uh, well, uh, the beauty of mindfulness practice, I see, is first, uh, uh, in addition, that we don't have to identify with these mind, these mind states, is that mindfulness brings us to that timeless uh, present because we have to be here and now to, to be mindful. So those two factors, the see feelings in feelings, mind states, just as mind states, not without having to attribute a, a sense of self or to identify oneself as a state of mind. 
It's very helpful. So to develop mindfulness is then to come into the present and and this is what we can so often uh, overlook. So coming back to those executive types of this luxury spa, they've been very successful in life and then, but they've become, by habit, caught up in the sense of becoming, of seeking to become better people, moving into the next moment and overlooking the eternal present, which is the only place, surely, that we appreciate uh, being alive. So it's tea time now, and that means I've got to stop. So uh, how long do we have for tea before we'll have some questions later? Fifteen? Okay. So I'll come back in 15 minutes and you can enjoy your tea.